Good morning, happy Friday, and welcome back to Adam versus the Man. You know, it's a good day when show prep involves watching South Park. That's right. Up to this morning, I I hate to admit it, but I didn't get through it last night. I had too much on my plate. Uh, but I want I finished the South Park pandemic special this morning, and uh, we're gonna talk about we're gonna have some fun today. We got Andy Jacobs, who we were supposed to have on yesterday. If you if you got my intro. Damn, yesterday, you have got to be really looking forward to this interview as much as I am. Uh, this is a signature gathering expert, uh, petition guy, and he has done, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll properly introduce him again, but he is always someone whose wisdom surprises me, and it surprises me how little microphone time he gets considering uh, that wisdom, but we're going to hear from a guy who's gathered over 90,000 something ridiculous number of signatures, uh, not just about what's going on right now and what the LP is facing with uh, the 2020 election cycle, gathering signatures still under the uh, dark cloud of the coronaphobia crisis. And, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful that I get to do this five days a week. We've got, unfortunately, CJ had to go back. He's got one more day of work. And today it is comments and freedom on producing and on comments. Uh, we're going to be taking callers. If you're ready to call in, uh, it's super easy. Super freaking easy. We got this shit set up well. It's a StreamYard link. You click it. You check your audio in your video if you want, or turn off your video. Call in with audio. Totally cool with that. Let me know what you thought about the uh, the South Park pandemic special. I certainly enjoyed it, and it's it's got me it's got me thinking. It's it's about time. Although I don't know, I'm I'm wondering maybe I should wait until I can convince my wife to join me on this journey uh, on catching up on South Park. I feel like I've been delinquent going from knowing the uh, all of the lines to every episode in probably the first eight seasons, like through when I was in college, and then kind of. Falling off the wagon. Is that the right way? You can apply that either way here, right? All right, well, let's get Jim up on stage here because one of the things that shocked me about, uh, about I don't want to say shock. <clears throat> well, I guess I guess in our case, I am I am genuinely surprised. Uh, that, and, and this is something we've been talking about in the Producers Club. I don't know, Jim, if you want to show people that first, by the way. You can join the Producers Club. You go to uh, AdamVersusTheMan.com, Patreon, and uh, give us $10 a month. That's where it's at. But uh, today, I guess, best caller, best insight or commentary on the uh, the South Park pandemic special can win membership in the Adam vs. the Man Producers Club. So, Jim, just to recap, you know that I have been – censored and shadow banned and subjected to a whole variety of message suppression over the, holy crap, what is it now, 13, 14 years of, of full-time activism, most of which has involved some kind of regular serious media production. And the numbers on our YouTube channel really tell the story. And I hate to cover this. I have to say this every time. Because every time we talk about censorship, we're not talking about the message. But the message that is being censored, you know, I keep waiting for that Streisand effect, but there's this great illusion being foisted on the American people that 
the censorship problem is is about conservatives being censored by liberal social media platform owners, and I think that's a diversion against the real censorship, which is the censorship of libertarians. And it's because this message of you don't need authority, of you own yourself, of taxation is theft, and government is fundamentally, as we know it today, illegitimate. That's the message they're trying to suppress. I, I, I mean, the coronavirus thing is a hoax. Getting to, not that the virus isn't real, I don't know, I've been doing this many times, but we got censored just a week ago more directly than ever before. You know, if you, what I mean by before is like you can look at subscriber numbers versus view counts and views even versus payouts. And you go, yeah, Jim, getting, getting behind the scenes here, has, has there been anything that's, that surprised you getting under the hood of our YouTube channel? Uh, actually, today we had a surprise uh, in the censorship realm, but it wasn't on YouTube. They're reaching us on Facebook this time, and I can show you the message we got here. Now, mind you, I got this message while we were live yesterday. In the middle, like, we're live? Bling! Guess what? Somebody's claiming ownership of your video. I said, what the hell are you talking about? And I disputed it and said... I'm streaming, I'm a co-host, and I'm streaming with the person that owns this video. I have explicit permission, etc. And they rejected the appeal. Here's the message they gave us. It says, dispute claim rejected. They say this matching 47 seconds of video that belongs to somebody called Storyful. And I, I read this and I said, what the hell? I don't even know who Storyful is. That doesn't make any sense well, to on, me. Hold on. But yeah, hold on. First, before you get into all that, 47, did we play any video clips in yesterday's show? Well, here, here's the weird thing. Here's the weird thing. And I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if we played any clips in yesterday's show that could be done. But the first notification I got when we were live yesterday said it matched 32 seconds of video that Storyful owns. The next message I got today after my appeal, I appealed it. My appeal was rejected, and they said we own 47 seconds of it. And then I went to your page where it was also broadcasted, and they rejected it there and said they own a minute and something of the – so there's different times even that they're saying that they're claiming they own. Well, just just quickly as a, as a theory of the trigger here, you know, and, and trying to not ascribe to specific conspiracy what can be adequately explained by incompetence in this case – CJ was playing some video clips from news stories in the background or picture in picture while while I was covering certain stories yesterday, I believe. And the thing is, if if that's what's triggering this, and and it, it this incident in and of itself might be benign as part of a bigger scam, which is you only get fair use rights, like your your human rights. Because, I mean, we know as libertarians that intellectual property is a racket. Like, okay. fundamentally, like, it, 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 the only legitimate concept that you can call, the, like, ethical concept that you can call intellectual property would be as a construct in a voluntary agreement. Like, and I use this example, like, if Jim, if Jim and I were writing a book together and we wanted to deal with uh, rules for each other 
about sharing that information before we both agree it's done and released, right? We might call that intellectual property as a metaphor. But to actually treat it as property in a real or legal sense is a violation of individual rights, property rights. And there's so many other problems with intellectual property as a concept. But even given today's general paradigm of intellectual property, there's this concept called fair use. That if you're commenting on something, if you're using it to report on something, that you you can just say courtesy of and you don't need to... Um, you know, you don't need to get explicit permission or pay for rights to use something that's that's content like that. Like, and this is, you know, me reading the news on the show, right? And when that right is is denied to us but extended to other people because they're, uh, you know, approved media outlets, it's just one more blanket form of, of Internet censorship uh, that, that's going to disfavor independent producers. But this, that's interesting that that happened on Facebook rather than YouTube as well. And I want to point out that, you know, while I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a news commentator. I'm, I'm going to read other people's news stories. You publish something as news. It's fair use for someone like me to read it on the air and comment on it. Um, if I was just reading it and trying to just sort of repackage it and claim it as my own, that would be different. That would be not just illegal under the current bullshit paradigm, but it would be unethical uh, as an act, not just against the content creator there, but against the audience as a fraud. And so I make a pretty, I mean, it's not a, it's not a difficult, like intense effort, but it seems uh, I've made a a, a very consistent effort uh, and, and never have a problem. Like I cite stories, you know, I don't, I don't pass other people's work off as my own. Um, I, I, I don't say courtesy of fox18.com. You know, I, I just say from fox18.com. Is it like, I, don't, I didn't say the magic word courtesy of, like, the, uh-huh. like they're going to use. I, I don't think that's the case here, though. So, Jim, what do you, what do you think, though, would, would be behind this, then, if not that? Jeez, uh, I mean, it's all speculation at this point. Who knows, you know, without going down the rabbit hole of conspiracy. I, I, the only thing we can look into is number one, who is Storyful? That's where we start. And Storyful is a social media intelligence agency headquartered in Dublin, Ireland. You can see down here it says, in December 2013, News Corp., which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, purchased Storyful for $25 million. So Storyful is Rupert Murdoch. And I don't know how many people know who Rupert Murdoch is, but Rupert Murdoch is basically the news world. He's this evil-looking guy right here. He, uh, he owns the New York Post, the Times of London, the Wall Street Journal, Dow Jones Companies, Fox News. That's, uh, you know, if that's not a red flag for you. So basically, Fox News is trying to shut us up. <laughs> well, see, I don't, I don't know if it's that direct. You know, it, it maybe all they're trying to do, like, they're, it's not, and I'm not trying to excuse this as not evil or conspiratorial. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, you know, what is let, – let, let's let's be accurate in analyzing this. And I think what's still most likely kind of an Occam's razor approach to this challenge of, of, of this mystery is that they're just trying to control the flow of information overall. They're trying to consolidate. Um, and that's, that's what – I mean, Rupert Murdoch, is a comically 
evil character. And I mean, com- like he's out of a comic book. Like even his name, <laughs> like right. Right. Rupert Murdoch. Like <laughs> that's that's not a good guy in any movie. Okay, you know, and, and like you make fun of his appearance there, but you you have to like, and I don't. It, you, I don't want to make fun, like, we don't need to make fun of anybody's appearance, but it's worth pointing out that he's, like, kind of comically evil-looking, like, out of a comic book. And his story, his whole story, if you if you research, and I don't even want to make this about him, but you, you look at what has the trend in media been, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not the first to point this out by a, by, you know, by a long shot, but the general consolidation of media to be, you know, where we're, you know what? Ninety percent of television is owned, or ninety percent of TV and radio is owned by, you know, four major media conglomerates, and Rupert Murdoch's is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, of course they're going to, uh, you know, like of course, of course they're going to do this. It's 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 sad and it's predictable when YouTube, before it got bought by Google, before the government moved onto the internet so heavy-handedly. You know, it, was, it was really kind of an open source thing. I don't say open source. That's that's not the right term. But uh, there they, there was still a, a lot of the you in YouTube. They've sucked a lot of the me out of the YouTube. <laughs> and I think a lot of that, the, the humanity out of it. And it's still an incredible resource. And it's hard, you know, when it's being used for political manipulation or, you know, rather, and I don't even want to see it that negatively, but when it's humanity is being robbed of the Internet's potential to host a truly meaningful conversation, or I should say a conversation as meaningful as it should be because certain perspectives and some information is being censored. And there's still, like, YouTube is still an amazing database. I mean, for homesteading stuff, YouTube U, YouTube University, right? You want to learn how to build something, how to figure, like, it's uh, the wealth of human knowledge in every video format imaginable at your fingertips right there on YouTube. Like, that's, that's, that's still an incredible step forward for humanity. And I, I don't want to diminish or demean that at all. In, in attacking YouTube, or, or I shouldn't say attacking, but just pointing out how we're being censored, how others are being censored, and, and being critical of it this way. And I know you're getting to Facebook, but uh, with this latest example, but it's the same people behind it. What's what was the name of this group again? I, I mean, it's so story what story, storyful, storyful, yeah, as in full of stories, as in full of shit, full of shit. So, Storyful, you know, we get these kind of, like I mean, I could I could log in. I don't know if I can load it right now. We'll see. Like I, I my Gmail account associated with my YouTube account. Like I don't even use it for anything because it's just there was an alert on your video. There was an alert on your video. There was a copyright claim on your video. There was a complaint about your video. There was a copyright claim. And it's just one after another after another after another, and it's it's like yeah, the, the internet has gotten kind of shitty over the last decade, maybe. Uh, you know, like, I, I, I lament the golden era of uh, of YouTube and the Internet, and, and uh, there, there was a real libertarian, inclusive rise in independent media. Uh, you know, I don't want to try to put some years on it, but 
uh, sort of in the, but before, before, you know, we started getting shadow banned and demonetized on YouTube in 2013. And when Google AdSense replaced YouTube's, uh, organic, I shouldn't say organic, but, you know, original built in, uh, yeah, so here I'm, I'm, like, like I'm reading my, yeah, I got it pulled up right now. Limited or no ads remain on your video. The Communist Party of China's long game on Corona propaganda. Limited or no ads remain on four videos. Three of your videos are suitable for all advertisers. Oh, really? Just three of them. Uh, let's see. Limited or no ads remain on your video. Shit is fucked up and I'm drunk. Uh, your YouTube video has been age restricted. Uh, a copyright cl- claim was created for content in Jim versus the man number six. Uh, I mean, Google AdSense, check your recent payment. And it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's depressing. And it's, it's yeah. like, you know, I, again, this is why, uh, I'm so grateful for the producers club that supports me putting this message together every day. But I just want to point out one more thing, Jim, to catch everybody up just in case you missed it. Uh, week before last, we did a video about, the false positives for corona and the uh, British effort to test every citizen. And I, I covered two mainstream stories, and the only other data I brought in was pointing out that there has been a test that has been promoted by the U.S. government that has been shown to have false positive rates up to one-third. And you go, well, gee, even if I'm wrong about all of this, even if these mainstream media articles themselves somehow are getting censored, even like, is it, why? Why is this getting censored? Why now? Why like this? Why ramp up censorship on us here at Adam versus the Man specifically when before uh, we had just been subjected primarily to shadow banning and demonetization? I, I mean, the signal. I, I should. When I say that, people are going to think it was all roses on the censorship front. No, I still had a lot of videos pulled, complaints. Uh, I had to appeal. Some of them denied. Some of them uh, accepted. Like th- th- There was a continuous struggle video by video. But we got banned for a week for, for posting that one. And now CJ's coming back uh, next week and, and full-time going to be figuring out you know, ways to uh, you know, better build out the production behind this show. To make sure that we're less susceptible, that it's less of a big deal, <clears throat> you know, if we get cut off of, uh, on YouTube again. But I, I just, I want everybody to really, you know, dig deep and ask yourselves, like, why is this message getting censored? Because I hope that you, you end up coming to the same conclusion that I have, not just that this is a threat, but that if this is a threat, then this is something that we have to protect and promote. And I, I, I don't want to make this about me or Adam versus the man. I'm, I'm, I'm just one of many proof positives, proof positive examples out there of someone who's being censored because they have a message that challenges the current power structure. But if you're enjoying this version of it, you know, put your money where your mouth is. And, and I don't mean necessarily, you know, buy merchandise or join us on Patreon uh, or, or in the Producers Club. But share this show, share this message, and, and help it get out there. And, and if this isn't it, find, because what we're in now is, you know, and I hate to give credit to Alex Jones's branding, but it's so brilliant. It's an info war. That's what this is. It's an information, and it, it, it's, it's more than that. 
because at, at the heart of it, there's a there's a battle for the soul of humanity. I, I don't think I could oversell it more than that. But that's, yeah. that, that's, that's still true. Like, I'm trying to think, like, can I, is there a milder term that I could use to describe what we're fighting for here? No, but we are. We, and, and, and to just bring it down to the, from the spiritual to the political level, we're fighting for the future. We're fighting for our children. It's for the kids, you know? But no, but seriously, like, that's what this is about. That's why we do what we do. This is what, what, you know, compels me as an activist first and foremost to make sure that, that this message gets out there one way or another. So, Jim, um, am I overselling it? <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely right. Even Noble Phoenix is pointing out. He says, uh, Spike Cohen had a video out yesterday. It was up for 20 hours before it showed up in my feed. He has 5,000 subs, and the video had 10 views in 20 hours. Clear shadow banning. Wow, yeah, I guess Spike Spike is getting it just like I have. I mean, I, oh, yeah, Jim, that reminds me, I wanted to point out, like, on Facebook, like you pointed out, this is the whole reason we're covering this today, again, is because of your Facebook experience. But then I'm like, you know what, I, I really gave up on Facebook a long time ago. It's, it's, a, it's a place to post stuff. It's a free posting service. Don't give it any more of your attention than that. Don't engage in conversations. Don't. Look at your feed. If you go to, if you like you, and I don't, I don't want to say don't use Facebook um, because it's, it has an undeniable utility. And this is one of my takeaways from watching the, the uh, documentary, The Social Network. I'm sorry, The Social Dilemma. Uh, still advise people watch that if you haven't. Um, and yeah, that's the one with the, the teen and, and, and preteen girl suicides. It's just so horrific it's explaining that phenomena. But uh, one of the things that I saw in the video is people had their alerts on on their phone for any time they got anything happening on Facebook. Like, I, I mean, I had to turn, like, as a public figure, I had, to, I had to turn Facebook alerts off a long time ago. But one of the things that I've, I learned over time was to just turn off all alerts. And, I, and, and this is, you know, a bigger point about being a smart, conscientious consumer of information. Uh, but really use social media networks. Don't let them use you. Uh, be conscientious of the ads that you're being showed. Avoid them as much as possible. Don't let them dictate your attention even through the feed and, and, and whatever stream they're giving you. Don't let YouTube put you on autoplay. You pull up one video of mine, and next thing you know, the related videos from the mainstream media version of what Adam's talking about. Like, and then, Next thing you know, you're, you know, you're, you're spending watching hours. Watching the debate. Yeah, next thing you know, you're watching a fucking duopoly joint press conference, right? Yeah. Uh, so all of that being said, like, you know, if you're going to use Facebook, use it conscientiously. But my experience there is, you know, I had a page that I got up to 80,000 followers, and then it, it kind of died. Like, and you go, why am, why are we not? getting any traffic here. And so I, I just was like, you know what? All right, Facebook, I'm, I'm not going to play your game. I'm just going to have a personal page. As long as people can follow me, you know, then then what's what's the problem? Um, and I have, you know, 4,000-plus friends, 25,000-something followers. And, you know, like, uh, I guess uh, I didn't promote it, but we'll, we'll – and I might be working tonight. Uh, you know, I'm going to be working today, but we'll still – we're going to do Cigars and Sunset. I'm going to be dirty. But we'll do Cigars and Sunsets tonight as a Facebook. Should we do it as a YouTube and just like super? I guess this time we're just going to go YouTube live. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to do a special YouTube live, Cigars and Sunsets tonight at 6 o'clock. 
Um, and Super Chats, always welcome, especially with your South Park commentary today. Jim, before we, we wrap up our, our warm opening and our promos and get to some news and some callers and, and our awesome guest, Andy Jacobs, any other uh, thoughts on the, the censorship experience? Uh, yeah, Moose Girl 08 says it basically happens to any truth site, any site these days that are that are telling the truth. It's, truth doesn't sell. Thanks for being you, Mars Life says. Well, thanks for making it possible. Yeah, and especially the people in the Producers Club making it possible. Um, and making it possible for us to, to go ahead and get a uh, get the Freedom Factory building an office here installed very shortly. The eight-week deadline was Wednesday, two days ago. Uh, I did speak to our rep there. We're in, we're in regular communication. And uh, he said it might be another week, which is okay. Uh, and maybe a few more days for delivery, but when it gets here, hopefully we'll have enough money to do the initial build-out of the floors and the walls and, and the backdrop for the studio and be able to move in and start using it uh, right away this weekend. Jim, you're going to make it back here, right? We got, we got a big yeah. meeting here on Saturday, and uh, we'll be planning out the budget for, for the, the build-out of the interior in the studio. I'm so excited about this. Foam. One foot square foam panels uh, for soundproofing are just about a dollar on Amazon. On Amazon, <coughs> anyway. So we'll be uh, getting into all that. Maybe there's a cheaper alternative. An insulation for one of these. This is I. I someone reached out to me on Twitter and, and suggested hempcrete, and they were going to get me an estimate for that. And as just like infill, you know, stick frame wall insulation, I'd be happy to use hempcrete, but I never heard from them. So, um, aircrete, you know, Jim, we could actually do aircrete here. I have the machine. Um, we've experimented with this. You know, maybe we could figure out a way uh, to pour it in and have, you know, poured heavy insulation like that. I don't know if the, if the weight's a problem, but we got to figure all that out this weekend. But I'm really excited to be getting that studio here finally. And then uh, so much more we can do here. Uh, but, yeah, thanks to, thanks to everybody in the Producers Club who, who sponsors this show and makes it possible. And everybody who goes to CigarFederation.com to use our promo code ADAM10, A-D-A-M, all caps, one zero, gets you 10% off your order there. <clears throat> so, Super Chats, we're like, yeah, you want to help us, help us out, have fun, uh, get your comment to the top of the pile today. We will be taking interruptions for Super Chats. And definitely tonight on YouTube um, for, for Cigars and Sunsets, 6 o'clock tonight. I, I, I bet we're going to have to start moving it up. Sunset, well, no, I'm going to have to start starting on time. Last time we had a, we had a technical difficulties with Facebook. Let me go. Hmm. All right, so, hey, if you want to call in, Jim's going to get the link in the comments, wherever you might be watching this, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and uh, Periscope. So check that out. If you want to get in line, just click that link, plug in, and uh, we'll, we'll do a story and then, uh, and then some calls. And uh, then we got our guest coming up, Andy Jacobs. We might go for the hour, but uh, we'll definitely take – gonna, you're going to want to ask questions uh, – and, and make stupid comments, too, probably, while we're talking to Andy. It's going to be a very fun interview. We're going to get into some big stuff. But our first big story, if you haven't heard already, yes, Donald Trump has tested positive for coronavirus. 
I'm not smiling because I'm gloating. I'm not playing this game of, oh, you downplayed the virus and then you came down with it. <laughs> no, th- th- there's a sick shot in Freuda that we're seeing that, that is joy in other people's misfortune. Uh, yes, uh, the Germans are the ones who came up with a word for that. Uh, it was a, uh, a weird outpouring. I mean, of schadenfreude for this and, and, and gloating from the left. I've been watching this on social media over the last, uh, I guess, 12-plus hours now. So just to, to get to the heart of the story here, we're, we're going to the AP, uh, APnews.com. Trump says he and First Lady tested positive for coronavirus. President Donald Trump said early Friday that he and First Lady Melania Trump have tested positive for the coronavirus, a stunning announcement that plunges the country deeper into uncertainty just a month before the presidential election. Trump, who has spent much of the year downplaying the threat of a virus that has killed more than 205,000 Americans, said he and Mrs. Trump were quarantining. The White House physician said the president is expected to continue carrying out his duties without disruption while recovering. So, yeah, you can pretty much be the president uh, by by Zoom meeting, uh, apparently, yeah, they, obviously they can figure out a way, uh, you know, unless, unless uh, you know, his, his brain is malfunctioning significantly, <laughs> uh, significantly more than normal, I should say, and he has to, you know, temporarily hand over authority to Vice President Pence. But, you know, obviously, got to point out the propaganda to say that the virus has killed more than 205,000 Americans, um, and, and I, I don't want to be one of these people overplaying the statistic that we got 6% from the CDC a couple weeks ago. Remember, only 6% of their reported deaths from corona were from just corona. And, you know, if you want to say, well, 94% weren't from corona, they were with corona. That's how you can't jump to that. Uh, it, it remains to be seen how many uh, of those deaths were legitimate and with corona, even as a significant factor. And, and I'll sort of you know, oh, do you? Yeah, you want to say how deadly is Corona? You know, as a you know, as, as a bug compared to the flu. Well, if the number is somewhere between six percent and a hundred percent, you know, it's probably closer to fifty percent, which puts this in the realm of a funky, twice as deadly off-season flu. People don't even think of the flu as deadly. So, just got to remind people of that perspective. In order to, to look at the story and, and I think give you what, what I hope is a fair analysis, because, uh, of course, conspiracy theories are abounding in the wake of this news. Uh, the AP, the way they're playing this up, uh, not so sure about this, this commentary here. Still, Trump's diagnosis was sure to have a destabilizing effect in Washington, raising questions about how far the virus had spread. Through the highest levels of the U.S. government, hours before Trump announced he had contracted the virus, the White House had a top aide who had traveled with him during the week had tested positive. Yeah, all right. And the tweet, very direct and, and uh, you know, positive from the president himself was, tonight at Lotus and I tested positive for COVID-19. We will begin our quarantine and recovery process immediately. We will get through this together. And there are lots of bad jokes out there about, oh, finally. The president and the first lady getting some alone time. Uh, yeah, or feeling people people feeling sorry for Melania. Oh, now you really can't avoid your husband. Uh, but I, I, I don't even. I think, let's 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 uh, sidestep some of that worst commentary 
to get right into the heart of, of what's actually happening here and why. Because if Trump was not experiencing symptoms, yeah, he'd probably hide it. And, and his exposure, I mean, I, I'm looking at this from my perspective of relatively limited public information. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. He has a lot more data available to him than I do. And if he was exposing himself to it, he knew exactly what the risks were. The timing of this is really suspicious. And I have to, I have to give credit to the theories that say Trump's not even sick. He's just making this up. It's, it's a very reasonable theory with all the dishonesty that, that Trump is engaged in, that he would fabricate his own positive test. Or that he would just, I mean, he doesn't even have to lie. Hold on a second. Bear with me. Technically, he could pull all of this off without lying at all. He could find one of these tests that has the one-third false positive rate and just keep taking it until he gets the false positive and then go, oh, I tested positive for corona. Now, there's a little more to this story in terms of the background that I have to cover uh, because apparently it was was one of his aides uh, who... Uh, actually tested positive, and again, could it all be fabricated? Uh, we're talking about Hope Hicks, one of most his most trusted and long-serving aides, who was diagnosed with the virus Thursday. She began feeling mild symptoms during the plane ride home from a rally in Minnesota on Wednesday evening. Now, mild symptoms. What? Re- it's funny we haven't been talking about what constitutes the latest corona symptoms because they ran through all the being human and experiencing normal life might be a symptom of corona things that they could tick off, right? Remember, and again, I'm not trying to say that this virus isn't real. I'm just pointing out one of the ways in which it's been overhyped, right? If we have um, a funky off-season, a version of the flu that is is possibly twice uh, as deadly, then you go, okay, well, what are the symptoms? Well, and there's the, the difficulty breathing, uh, the feeling like glass in the lungs. I, I believe that these are genuinely coronavirus symptoms, and it's, it's that kind of thing. But then, well, what goes along with that? Well, anything that sounds like the flu. Headaches, soreness, tiredness, stress. You know, like, okay, stress isn't one of them. But, you know, things that result from the stress of normal, modern American life. Runny nose. Itchy eyes, you know, anything that could be allergy symptoms, right? All of these things are mild symptoms. It wouldn't be difficult for them to basically fabricate this thing and and knowingly make this whole thing a lie, even if there is no lie directly in it. You know, it could be they were, they were, this could have been a hope's idea, hope makes his whole idea, like, Mr. President, I'm going to tell you that I am experiencing mild symptoms. And then the doctor on board here is going to diagnose me with COVID. And then you and Melania are going to take tests until you pull up a random false positive. And then you're going to come out of this in a week and you're going to test negative. And you're going to come out strong and you're going to be able to reassure the nation that even as an old man, you were able to defeat this virus. Now, there's, there, there's some problems with this theory. And the first one is that there's a significant thread in the propaganda out there that says you can re 
get the virus, that either it mutates and you get another version of it and you're somehow vulnerable to it, or the virus stays with you and re-manifests and gives you symptoms again that make you, uh, make you contagious. Now, if President Trump comes out and says, I'm better now, I, and I've wondered about this for myself because I got out there at the beginning. I was like, this is no big deal. And I've been living like fully exposed, no symptoms, nothing. And I did take a test. <coughs> I got one of the, <coughs> oh, excuse me, <coughs> it's, it's, it's just a little touch of the Rona this morning. Um, I took a test and I, I tested negative for antibodies and for active viruses. But if you tested, if you test positive for antibodies but not for active viruses, are they going to say from now on, like, when the lockdown lifts, perhaps, or we get onto whatever the new normal is going to be? Well, if you've had the virus ever before, you're now like a leper, and, and you, you have to go live in a, in a quarantine colony. You have to you have basically quarantine for the rest of your life. And, if, and, and, and now, if Trump has significant data to prove that that's not a thing, although there is, I think, you know, and we know from uh, from our friend Mercedes, who believes that she is, is at uh, three separate bouts with this, although uh, I don't think she had access to testing to, like, test the negative in between. With the president, there's going to be no excuse, right, for him. I, I think he's going to be ta- – he's going to have to talk about his story. Um, you know, I mean, of course, yeah, the Trump administration has a great record of just lying, hiding, and – and covering things up. So I'm not, I'm not saying that like they have to be honest, but I think they're going to have to talk about it. Yes. He's positive today. Yes. He's positive today. No, no, he tested negative. Uh, we're going to wait a day. Oh, he tested negative two days in a row. We're confident he's negative now, but then are you, are people going to be able to, are, are willing uh, to go shake hands with people who they know that tested positive in the past. So follow up story uh, with, with, with this, because I do think, this, this fits into sort of a, a desperation that Trump is feeling going into the home stretch of the election. And maybe this was, uh, maybe he thought that, that this was his ace in the hole, that faking corona and, and getting over it in a week and, you know, not even having to quarantine. I mean, there's a month, it's a month, as of today, a month and a day to, to election day. This is, this is hugely significant in the timing, but there's one other. There's, there are a couple, uh, a few actually related stories that I have to cover uh, about the home stretch of the election that that all do kind of relate to Trump's uh, last minute strategy here, which obviously has something to do with catching Corona. And maybe there's like you know, and I, I gotta hand it to Trump for being. Uh, a little older and wiser and perhaps more clever than I, certainly for being better supplied with data. Now, capable of acting on that and speaking eloquently and consistently, I don't know, because he seems to be walking through a big pile of shit called the Proud Boys right now. I don't want to call them a pile of shit. That's not what I meant. <laughs> no, but obviously around this, uh, all this kafefi around the recent white supremacists question and the debate and the mentioning of Proud Boys by Chris Wallace. Uh, So I wonder, like, this this clumsiness in messaging is not because Trump has great data. However, I wouldn't be surprised if 
he has some way that he's able to calculate what's the sympathy vote for me and Melania stuck in quarantine, bravely battling through Corona. Like if, if I, I'm, I'm going to be, yeah, like I'm going to be watching this closely, but here's where Trump is certainly fucked up. And this is, it does make this exciting to watch as a contest, at least from a distance. He was asked in the debate by Chris Wallace, will you condemn white supremacists, militias, and like the Proud Boys? And the the, the verbal connection wasn't really clear to say that they're all white supremacists. But then Trump went on Hannity. This is from TheHill.com. Trump, quote, I condemn all white supremacists. Now, he said this a number of times. But here's the exact quote. I've said it many times, and let me be clear again. I condemn the Ku Klux Klan. I condemn all white supremacists. I condemn the Proud Boys. I don't know much about the Proud Boys, almost nothing, but I condemn that. This is after, remember, he said, stand back and stand by to them at the debate. Now, there's there's just, this has actually got his base, people who don't even identify as Proud Boys, very upset. I've seen uh, my, my, my friend Cassandra Fairbanks tweeting about this, dismayed, dismayed. I'm disappointed with President Trump, and there, there is a, there, 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 are two made two glaring, glaring problems with Trump's messaging on this. One, the contradiction from the debate to last night on Hannity calling in saying, "I condemn the Proud Boys." Really. After saying, "I'm not going to condemn them," and because I think he did. Kind of a clever thing, you know, as he often seems to do by accident, by verbal slips, by by his awkward habits of putting sentences together. He 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 didn't let the Proud Boys be grouped in with the white supremacists, but here he doesn't separate them. He just says, "I condemn the Proud Boys," and so there's that flip flop of throwing a major enthusiastic part of your base under the bus. And any proud like Enrique, come on the show, man. I want to talk to you. I've been, I've, we've been trying to get you on the show for months now. I'm talking about the head of the Proud Boys, and they're they're very libertarian, not not categorically, not they're not libertarian, but they're very close. And, and I think this experience that a lot of the Proud Boys are going through right now might be the ultimate chance to get them to defect to, to libertarianism, to consider what are the problems with your ideology. If your ideology leads you to support someone who can so easily throw you under the bus, why? And, and the thing is, I, the Proud Boys I might describe as a kind of libertarian nationalist. And yes, that is a contradiction. Um, but sort of maybe more precisely libertarianism-inclined nationalists. And if they just drop the nationalism and see the, the universality of the, of the human family and that even the, the progress of Western civilization depends on the continuing advance, not the conservation of these ideas or current institutions of society as conservatism describes in its definition, but that you can look at universal principles and see a better way of moving humanity forward based on the values that we do share. And I've been more tempted than ever to join the Proud Boys, although I don't share their fundamental 
you know, uh, raison d'être, uh, 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 you know, of nationalism. I, I'm, I see them very much as allies. And I, when I see stories like this next one, WashingtonTimes.com, Proud Boys, Black Lives Matter leaders hold joint conference. We denounce white supremacy. And this isn't the first time this has happened. There have been, you know, Boogaloo and Black Lives Matter joint, joint, joint events. And this isn't the first time Proud Boys have got out and, and protected Black Lives Matter activists and say, you know, we are, we are not white supremacists. We are, we are not racist. And, and I would think they'd even say that we are anti-racism, not in the Marxist definition, but just the literal meaning that they are anti-racism. Um, you know, they are, they are led by, um, you know, a lot of minorities in their national leadership and in their local chapters. So, like, this is, um, you know, it, it, it should tell you something. When, when you see a group um, so slandered by the mainstream media, and again, uh, the, the international chairman, that's his title, uh, of the Proud Boys, Enrique Tarrio, is uh, a black Hispanic. And you go, what the fuck? Really, you're trying to tell me that this group is white supremacist? And, you know, someone in the Producers Club showed, uh, showed us a link about Gavin, uh, Gavin McInnes, uh, who I've interviewed and or been interviewed by. Um, I guess we should get him on the show, too. Uh, yeah, Gavin, if you ever get a chance to watch this, we'd love to have you on. Uh, but, but to hear Gavin now, like, as a co-founder of the Proud Boys, uh, Vice, he was also sorry, co-founder of Vice, um, and I guess founder of, of Proud Boys, uh, to see the way that he gets slandered and misrepresented in the media, you go, yeah, maybe this is a diversion of, you know, how they're censoring and, and shadow banning libertarians by making it look like the problem is censoring conservatives. Uh, but in this case, these guys are so close to libertarian. I think they, they, they are being censored and slandered and misrepresented, not just as a political football, but uh, because their message is a threat, because the, the, the message uh, of Gavin McInnes, of Enrique Tarrio, of the Proud Boys, uh, of the Boogaloo movement, you know, these are a threat to the establishment. And, you know, I think keeping an eye on that is, uh, is really important. As we see this misinformation, I know this is going to be a bit of a long composite opening second segment. We've got just a couple stories i got to wrap in here. From the DailyBeast.com, right-wing Trumpist news site busted as Putin troll farm operation. It's the latest evidence that the Kremlin isn't just supporting Trump. It's trying to sow as much chaos as possible in the weeks ahead of Election Day. And there uh, was a story we brought you yesterday about China's, the, the, the one I just mentioned in, in censorship that's now demonetized, China's long game in the propaganda war around Corona and how they try how basically how they exported their you know strict lockdown measures. Um, you know, by the way, I guess this is, is is also even more of a side story, but related to this, the Jerusalem Post, jpost.com, Netanyahu, if coronavirus lockdown doesn't work, we'll make it stricter. What? What? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, this is this is how government works. You know, it's like to a kid with a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. When you're trying to solve problems with people, 
and you're just beating people down, you go, oh, well, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Really? I don't even have to read this story. The headline says it all. If coronavirus lockdown doesn't work, we'll make it stricter. So, but, but back to this story about the, the troll farm, because there was so much in the story that we didn't even get to from uh, tabletmag.com about uh, the Chinese propaganda effort around corona. Like thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of fake Twitter accounts exposed. You got to be a conscientious consumer of information. You can't, and the thing is, what they're doing is they're bullying politicians. Into, into different policy. There, there was, uh, you know, like um, Christy Nome, not to sing this tyrant's praises, but she did one right thing in resisting lockdowns, and her Twitter was swarmed with accounts saying uh, that she's, she's part of a genocide. She's killing people by not locking down the state of South Dakota. And you go, where's this coming from? You know, there's a massive Chinese propaganda effort to get people to support lockdowns. So, you know, just question everything. Things are going to get really interesting in, in this last month of the debate. It's, it's an honor and, and, a, and a pleasure to be uh, anchoring the internet seven days a week with you talking about this because it, it's going to get crazy. We're like, we used to talk about the October surprise, like there's going to be this one leaked tape or this one revealing news story or this one breaking investigation and now it's this boom, boom like Starting mid-September, boom, 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 boom. October surprise after October surprise. I guess they gotta they gotta ramp it way up for 2020. Just crank up the propaganda. And so this one last story, I'm gonna wrap into this this composite opening segment here from Media I because this is something that would be an October surprise any other year. This year. It's barely going to be a blip in the 24-hour news cycle. Leaked calls reveal Melania Trump's private war on Christmas. Who gives a fuck about the Christmas stuff? You know, I like I don't even care to get like, if this was the headline, like the only October surprise. I might get into this. I might I might look into the story. Like I might <laughs> I might care enough. Um, I'm looking at some of these quotes. Um, it sounds like she just doesn't care about the ceremony and being first lady of Christmas. Like I quote, I'm working my ass off on the Christmas stuff that, you know, who gives a fuck about the Christmas stuff and decorations, but I need to do it. Right. You know, and it's, it's funny. A little irony about the war on Christmas. Silly side of the culture war. No one's looking that far ahead. I shouldn't say nobody. The White House is obviously planning for Christmas. Melania is planning for Christmas. And in the current shitstorm of Decision 2020, just another fart in the wind. All right, so let's get – I know we have one caller waiting. Let's see. We've got six minutes before we get to our guest. Jim, can we – do we have more than one caller? I know know, uh, Mercedes is waiting. If you want to send me messages, I'm watching Telegram right now. Uh, but yeah, let's get well. Let's talk about the South Park pandemic special. I got to watch last night and this morning, and uh, and it was a lot of fun. You know, I I I want. There's one news story, one other news story I want to share about this because someone put this in. Uh, oh, CJ, 
CJ put this in the uh, producers club. Jim, are we are we doing all right? Is I don't see any notes from you or Mercedes coming on screen here, but um, let's hope we get Andy plugged in as our guest in just a few minutes. Really excited for this interview to wrap up our week. But um, CJ, okay, hey, welcome Mercedes. Okay, before we get to Mercedes thoughts, I got to share this one note uh, because I read part of the story that CJ sent after watching the South Park pandemic special. Mm-hmm. And it's it says South Park breaks the fourth wall with rare plea for people to vote. And I thought that meant like Trey Parker and Matt Stone came out and, you know, actually said, hey, guys, don't forget to vote. That's not the case. <clears throat> I think this is I think this is the part of the genius and in, in the art that South Park makes is appealing to everybody who wants to just laugh at and lampoon the absurdity of, of our current situation or before this, it was just one aspect of society. Now it's kind of everything, mm-hmm. but they're saying that Mr. Garrison, you remember, I, and, and um, I, I guess spoiler alert, right? But the, I, you can't really spoil this episode. You know, I don't think cause it's just, it's, it's running commentary. That's pretty insightful. Just about everything. There's no, single huge critical storyline or bigger point but at the end of it mr garrison comes out with a flamethrower i I guess that's i I won't say what he does with it that would be a spoiler um but mr garrison yeah see it's hilarious mr garrison coming out as president trump as president garrison comes out and says don't forget to don't forget to get out and vote everyone big election coming up like no that's, that's, that's an in-character joke. That is not South Park breaking the fourth wall at all. That's totally aligned with the, the randomness of their humor. But I don't know. Did you, what did you think of that? I, uh, the whole episode, so being in Nebraska and not having a mask mandate, and just the businesses have been enforcing the mask mandates. Like, it's been, like, businesses decide if you need to wear a mask or not. And if they say you need to wear a mask, they provide them. Whatever. But the whole thing with South Park and how they portrayed it and the craziness is exactly what is happening in Colorado and Nebraska right now. So it's it's South Park in its purest form because the country has just given it to them, man. And they took it and they ran with it. And it was so beautiful. I yeah. am so glad I was like, hey, you guys need to watch this because it did not disappoint. <laughs> and I just... Fucking Randy, man. Without giving spoilers, I can't get into it. Because the whole episode is just everything that's happening in our country right now in Lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. A tour de de force. Tour de force. South Park in fine form. And and for me, I'm... The the fact that they... I'm drinking a beer, by the way, because it's Friday. Uh, you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. Yeah, right? So it's actually two minutes to noon here. So I kind of waited a little bit. Um, I did have coffee. But the the thing that was imparted on me and my little ADHD South Park brain was that they did tell us that we needed to get out and vote and didn't have to break form to say it because it's what's happening. Um, but no, but see, I... But what happens when South Park crosses that line and they're like, hey, we really need you to fucking vote, guys. Like, this is not a game. But they they didn't. 
You could you could just as easily, and I'm thinking about my my younger self as a teenager watching South Park. If if they 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 didn't say come out and vote in the voice of Randy Moore, like they've had serious political messages embedded in the show in the mouths of sort of respectable, endearing characters. Yeah. In this case, they're doing Mr. Garrison as president, as President Trump, saying, don't forget to vote. That might be them saying, fuck voting. Trump wants you to vote. Trump's an asshole. Whatever you do, don't do what he says. There's a significant chunk of the South Park audience that that's going to do just that. It's going to take it like that and go, oh, okay. or, or blow it off anyway. Because it's because yep. you know that that's the point of South Park in a sense is to be able to just laugh at serious stuff, right? Oh, and it's beautiful. Like I feel I I've been so stressed out this year about everything going on that I was glad I got to laugh about it. I'm glad that they made fun of everything. It made my little dark heart just so much happier. I needed South Park. They rescued me <laughs> like my whole yeah. life. And and one thing we we won't. We won't reveal, because this would be a spoiler, would be uh, what Randy does to try to save the day. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, or or the, the, the South Park uh, universe's backstory on where the virus came from. Uh, so if, if we have any more callers on that, I think we can comment on this without revealing the, uh, the, the real spoilers in the plot that are so much fun. Um, I know it's 10 o'clock. Let's see. I got some chats here. Um, yes. So, okay. Oh, we do have another caller. So, let's see. So, um, Mercedes, thanks for joining us for just a few minutes here. Let's let's get Ed on. For just, he says, a quick quick report before we get to the guest. We're going to get to Ed, our friend, Psychic Taxi. How you doing, brother? Just fine, Adam. <laughs> hey, uh, I saw this morning uh, on the the lamestream media that the the viewership of the presidential debate was down 25% 2016 uh, record. And I think I can offer part of an explanation why. I'm off-grid like you are, okay? Solar, if I got to, I can fire up the Jenny, but I haven't, haven't used it. Solar, everything, I got... TV on my hot spot on my phone and you know we're together we're on it and everything so yep. I want to watch the debate um, got Alex Jones and info you know who on my phone and I'm listening to their banter and I want to hear the debates itself so I turn my television on or through my hot spot and all of this stuff and it's on right I got it running and then it gets up to the debate starts and Something happens. Something goes wrong with the, I don't know whether it was the the smart TV, the the hotspot, the connection, the 4 or 5G, whatever it is. Okay. Something went wrong to where I was not allowed to watch it. I couldn't see it. I was I would not have been able, I wasn't put down as a watcher or listener. So maybe that has something to do with it. They shut people's phones, uh, TVs off. Mm. I don't know if all the videos went off, but mine did. I gotta go. Yeah, I mean, you the other theory that I didn't, 
I didn't I didn't mention it all about the debate was that maybe Trump is you know, getting uh, or about the the corona diagnosis is that he's looking for an excuse to avoid the debates if it really hurt him that bad with the numbers. But I don't think that would be enough to do it. All right, thanks thanks for your your input here, Ed. We got um, we got another caller here who wants to comment on South Park. We'll do one more, but it's got to be really quick here before we get to Andy. If you don't mind waiting, thank you so much, Andy. All right. Let's, uh, our, our guy, uh, John, we have a caller, John, on the line. Is that right, Jim? All right. John, hey. what's on your mind, brother? Hey, can you hear me okay? Lima Charlie, you just have one quick minute to tell us what's on your mind before we get to our guest. Right on, man. Hey, listen, I'm in South Dakota. I know you're talking South Park, but I posted a couple of things to the chat regarding Governor Nome and some of her executive orders and what's going on. Uh, regarding right. South Park, leave it to South Park to like totally throw a dart on a important political issue. And when, when it surfaces on South Park, you know, it's mainstream. So South Park has now exposed a, basically mm-hmm. a, a bureaucratic hoax that has been like hoist and foist upon the American people for purposes of political power. So good on South Park. Uh, yes, thank you, thank you. Know, thank you for pointing that out, John. That, that's that's really worthwhile to to note. That, and, and I want to say two things that from the episode. Uh, one is that uh, at one point, Stan Marsh calls President Garrison as President Trump and says, "Do something about this." And he basically says, "No," because he's benefiting from it. You know, uh, and and I think that that was a really that that was all that you needed to say. About that, and then the other thing is the uh, about the masks. Uh, they started calling them chin diapers for the people who are wearing the medical masks just around their chins. And and then there, there was a little dispute about you know you've got to wear it over your nose. But at one point, you see Randy's getting a package delivered, and I guess it's like a UPS guy comes to his house and says, "I'm sorry, sir, before you come within six feet of me, can you please put on your chin diaper?" And and Stan Marsh goes, "Yeah, sure." Uh, or Randy Marsh, excuse me, you know, puts it around his ear and his other ear and around his chin with his mouth fully exposed. And he goes, okay, thank you, sir. And it's just, yeah, that's, it, as, as, it, to what you said, John, is, is that the kind of thing you're referring to that, like, yeah, now that's acknowledged, that's how it is. Yeah, it's mainstream. Now that it's in South Park, it's mainstream. I'm thinking about growing my mustache really long so I have a built-in face mask and then I don't really have to worry about it. Also, before I go, I know you got to get on to some other people. Uh, just really appreciate you broadcasting to let me kind of into your stream of consciousness here uh, from our humble little burg of Spearfish, South Dakota. And also uh shout out to Safer Dave and the Safer Arizona movement that uh, yeah. looks like it came through. So anyway, thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Right right on, man. I, I got friends in Spearfish from when I worked there and uh, when I, I worked in Sturgis uh, for a summer a few years ago. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've been I've been to the Walmart. In uh, in Spearfish, and it was the closest one. I don't know, uh, but yeah, we had we had a lot of fun in that area when I when I got to spend a summer in, in South Dakota. All right, without further ado, let's get our guest Andy Jacobs up here. Andy is someone who I, I've known for a long time, and I have just an immense amount of respect for for a lot of reasons. But I, I'm I'm really honored to talk to him today, not just about his primary. Uh, area of expertise as a, as a petitioner that is a signature gatherer, but uh, about the bigger picture that we're facing as well. We're also going to get into, of course, some of his recent stories about 
<clears throat> challenges under Corona and, and things that the Libertarian Party are facing. But to give him his, his proper introduction to, to someone who's been an activist with the Libertarian Party for a long time, he, he's not just a, you know, boots on the ground petition gatherer, but a, a real ballot access expert. He has personally gathered over 90,000 petition signatures just in his work to get LP candidates on the ballot, but he's also gotten tens of thousands for other initiatives, uh, referendums, things like that. Sometimes being a hired gun, but never in violation of libertarian principles. He's worked on ballot access drives in 35 states. He was active with the Ron Paul campaign in 2008 and 12, and in 2012, he was the ballot access coordinator for Ron Paul's campaign. Andy, Thank you for uh, for giving us your time today. I really appreciate you joining the show. How you doing, brother? Hi, I'm doing good. Can, uh, can you see me and hear me well? Yeah, it looks great. Okay. Um, I'm yeah. in a car, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, man, I, I know, and I appreciate you making the effort too, because uh, this is certainly an interesting time of challenge. But um, I think before we get into the bigger picture or your recent challenges, why don't you tell us first? Uh, about how how you've spent this election cycle. Um, well, I've spent a lot of this election cycle uh, gathering petition signatures to place, uh, you know, Libertarian Party candidates on the ballot and uh, um, some pro-liberty ballot initiatives on the ballot. So, um, and, uh, of course, except when we were prevented from doing it because of the uh, whole uh, COVID thing, when things got really, uh, really crazy, and uh, we a lot a lot of petition drives around the country actually shut down for a couple months or so. Now, I but, believe the uh, last yeah. time I, saw, I believe the last time I saw you in person was at the Illinois uh, Libertarian State Convention. Is that right? Uh, no, no, it was uh, California. California. Okay, you were at the California one. And for those of you who have been to uh, state conventions, you might recognize Andy as the guy who had Libertarian gatherings as like walking around with an armload full of petitions being like, can I get your signature? Well, then quick, take two minutes, sign all these two, and, and getting you on, you know, to, to, to help him out and to help out all these causes that he's involved in. Um, but you were, who are you gathering signatures for, and, and how did you get shut down, and what kind of efforts have you been involved with since the, I don't, I don't know, since since the virus got here? Um, well, well, what was I gathering signatures for before for when when the uh, when things got crazy with COVID or, or yeah? Or, uh, uh, well, I was actually in California. I, I was in California at the time uh, doing some uh, ballot initiatives, and uh, like I said, things got crazy with COVID, and so it shut down. And uh, then I re- that that was in March. That was around late March, and then it restart. I you know, um, some petition drives started restarting actually in in May. And, um, you know, I, in June, I, uh, I went to Nebraska and I worked on a medical marijuana initiative and a casino gaming initiative. So that was the first thing I did, you know, uh, after the COVID shutdowns. And, uh, interestingly in Nebraska, um, I would say it was like maybe 70 to 80% of the people in Nebraska were not wearing masks. And um, for everybody out there that's, you know, paranoid about the whole COVID thing, I, I think it's been uh, wildly exaggerated. Um, well, you know, we'll get back to that. Okay. Yeah, but most of the people in Nebraska were not wearing masks. 
And so uh, we were able to get signatures and qualify, you know, a medical marijuana initiative and a casino gaming initiative uh, for the ballot. I know they did have enough signatures to make the ballot. I, I think there were challenges on the legal language of the petition, not on the petition signatures. So uh, I'm not sure what the status of that is. But after that was over, uh, I uh, went to the Libertarian Party National Convention in Orlando. And then I went on the road and petitioned for the Libertarian Party in uh, Wisconsin and Iowa. And so uh, I've done some other things you know, since then. And then uh, I'm actually back in California right now working on a statewide uh, referendum uh, to repeal a bill that uh, the governor recently signed that bans flavored tobacco products, you know, for vaping, for cigarettes, for uh, um, uh, it also includes flavored rolling paper. All of this stuff got banned. And uh, the bill is kind of hypocritical because uh, it exempted expensive cigars, pipe tobacco, and uh, right. so yeah. uh, the rich people can still have their their stuff, you know, because a lot of that, you know, is smoked by by uh, wealthier people. Not all, but a lot of it. But uh, they act with everybody else. So uh, anyway, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And uh, you know, it's for the Libertarian Party. Uh, the Libertarian Party is going to be on the ballot in all 50 states uh, plus Washington D.C. And uh, Joe Jorgensen is the only uh, minor party, third party, whatever we call it, or independent. She's technically not an independent, but they often lump independents in with minor parties. Uh, candidate who's going to be on the ballot in all 50 states plus uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, now let me just dispel a little uh, a, a ballot access myth. A lot of people don't understand ballot access. Okay, going into the election cycle, the Libertarian Party already had ballot access in a lot of states. So it's not like the Libertarian Party necessarily has to petition every state during every election. Uh, the Libertarian Party came into this year already having ballot access in something like 15 or, or uh, 40, uh, uh, 35 states, something, uh, somewhere around there. And um, also, a lot of the ballot access work is not done by the presidential campaign. Most of it is done by the LNC, the Libertarian National Committee, or by the state parties. Um and ballot access is pretty complicated. It's you got to look at each state's laws, and it's very complicated. And I remember in the last election, uh, when when Gary Johnson was running, there was this kind of rumor floating around or misconception that, well, if Gary Johnson gets five percent of the vote, that'll get us uh, ballot access nationally. That's not true. That's not true. Every state has different ballot access laws, and you know some states like, uh, for instance, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, Joe Jorgensen could carry Pennsylvania. She could win the state, you know, and, and, and get the electoral college votes. And the Libertarian Party still wouldn't have ballot access in Pennsylvania because in Pennsylvania, all candidates for every office have to petition their way on the ballot, even the Democrats and Republicans, including their presidential candidates. So uh, in Pennsylvania, the only way to get uh, uh, recognized uh, major party status is you would have to get 15% of the electorate which would come out to like over 800,000, maybe 900,000 people to register to vote under the Libertarian Party banner. That would be checking off the Libertarian box on their voter registration form. And uh, that's extremely difficult to do that. And then the only thing you'd win is you'd have major party status. You would get a primary. Then you would have to collect signatures to put the candidates on the ballot in the primary. So uh, some states have you can get on the ballot through a number of voter registrations. That is people registering to vote and putting Libertarian on their voter registration. Uh, now, half the states don't register by party. About half of them do, about half of them don't. 
Um, and then um, some states have where if you get a certain percent of the vote uh, for for a statewide office, it's usually governor, could be president, or it could be another statewide office, then you can retain ballot access through that. But um, another another myth was that, um, that, that the Gary Johnson vote total got the Libertarian Party ballot access in, in every state, and that wasn't true either. They picked up, through Gary Johnson's vote total, it got the Libertarian Party ballot access in, I think it was like five or six states that they were able to retain ballot access off the 2016 presidential vote. But in some of those states, it, it was it's a little bit complicated. Like one state they did that in was Connecticut. So Gary Johnson got over a certain percent of the vote. I think it was 1% of the vote in Connecticut. But all that did was it got the party ballot access for president only in Connecticut. Didn't get the party ballot access for every office. So libertarians in Connecticut running for offices other than president would still had had to have petitioned uh, this year. So anyway, bottom line, the ballot access laws are, are, are pretty, uh, pretty complicated. And, and uh, a lot of people don't understand that. Check the laws in your state, if you, you know what I mean. So anyway. well, you know, I, I don't I don't want to get too sucked down into those technicalities because that's <clears throat> that's part of how you get screwed. And I, I think it's enough for people to appreciate that one of the ways the duopoly keeps libertarian candidates off the ballot is by having you jump through complicated hoops where it's you know and we brought you the story uh, just a few days ago where. Also in Nebraska, there was a massive uh, that, that that cannabis effort to get uh, medical uh, or to get cannabis uh, in it, yeah. uh, on on the ballot, and it was uh, defeated by a legal effort that was funded anonymously. And yeah, well, that, oh, oh, by the way, that didn't have anything to do with the actual signatures. They did have enough valid signatures to be on the ballot. Yeah. They did a challenge on the language, the wording of the petition. Exactly. There's a whole other, thank you. you know, there's a whole other level of tragedy where this incredible effort was invested in gathering something like 170,000 something signatures and we only needed 122,000 and they still got kicked off the ballot essentially. And yeah, yeah, it had to do with the wording of the uh, of the petition. And uh, ballot initiative petitions are actually kind of a bit more complicated than a, a party or candidate petition. But, um, yeah, there was actually something uh, similar that happened to the Libertarian Party in Ohio back in the early 2000s where they did a petition drive and they had a certain legal language on the petition. And it turned out they that the state had just changed the wording of the uh, party status petition in Ohio. They just altered it very yeah. slightly. And I guess somebody in the LP of Ohio didn't know that, and so they were using uh, a form from, like, the previous election, and that was used to knock the LP off the ballot in Ohio. This was back in, oh, geez, I think it was maybe 2002 or something like that. But uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, actually, slows are complicated. Now, um, yeah, they're, and, and they're, sometimes they're too difficult. I mean, sometimes they're definitely uh, too complicated, too anal. But um, I will say there's sort of somewhat of a silver lining uh, to that uh, for the Libertarian Party this year, and that is that um, th this year the Libertarian Party presidential candidate has the least competition it has ever had Ooh. from other minor party and independent candidates yeah. um, having ballot access because usually there you know there might be somebody else like a like a Ross Perot or something who will get on the ballot in all 50 states plus D.C. Or, or Ralph Nader. Now, Nader never got on all 50 states plus D.C. ballot, 
but he came close. He got, you know, well into the 40s, maybe 45 states, 46 states, something like that. Um, right. uh, uh, Jill Stein, who was the Green Party candidate in 2012 and 2016, in yeah. the last election, she was on the ballot in 44 states plus Washington, D.C., and Gary Johnson got on in all 50 plus D.C. In, in 2016. Okay, well, this year, the closest competitor to Joe Jorgensen is Green Party candidate Howie Hawkins. He's only going to be on the ballot in 29 states uh, plus D.C. And then after Rocky De La Fuente, I mean, I'm sorry, not Rocky, after, after Howie Hawkins, all the other candidates that are running for president, I'm, I believe, are on the ballot in like less than 20 states or maybe 20 states at the most. But, you know, there's a guy named Rocky De La Fuente. I think he's on the ballot in, I don't know, maybe 17, 18, maybe 20 states, something like that. Uh, uh, Brock Pierce, he's an independent candidate and a, and a Bitcoin guy, somebody known in the Bitcoin world. He's yeah. only on the ballot in like 17 states or something, 18. You know, there's a, a, a Don Blankenship Constitution Party. He only made it on the ballot in 18 states. And there's like a, a, a Kanye West. So anyway, basically... There are 12 states where Joe Jorgensen is the only alternative to Donald Trump and and um, Joe Biden. 12 yeah. states. And those 12 states are New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Georgia, <laughs> Alabama, Indiana. Uh, I'm not uh, going to remember all of them. Arizona. Okay. Well, I'll just – I might as well finish it. Montana, <laughs> North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas. So in those states – Joe Jorgensen is the only alternative candidate on the ballot, and that's going to be really big for the Libertarian Party. So yeah, this and, is my, mm. and the reason I'm guessing you can rattle off all those names is that you're familiar with the struggle in all of those states, and why even Howie Hawkins and the Green Party, as organized as they are, failed to get on those twelve ballots. Yeah, interestingly enough, with the Green Party, uh, part of their problem was uh, paranoia over COVID. There were a lot of Greens that just didn't want to go out and collect signatures or didn't think they could collect signatures because of COVID. And I'll tell you what, if the Libertarian Party had taken that same attitude, which some people in the party actually were, but fortunately there were enough of them who weren't that we actually went out and did it and got the job done. Because if we hadn't gone out and worked, besides you know, in spite of all this COVID hysteria, then, you know, Joe Jorgensen would not be on the ballot in all 50 states plus D.C. Well, so that, that brings me back to what I want to ask you about before. You said you were in Nebraska and that in Nebraska, 80 percent of the people on the street weren't wearing masks. And, and I assume you're I mean, you tell us about the kinds of uh, venues where you're gathering signatures, events or outside of grocery stores, you know, down to that level of specifics, please. But you said you were also uh, well, gathering. Well, you, said you were also gathering signatures in in Ohio and one, one other state in California. How did they all compare? Oh well, um, no, I was not in Ohio this time. Uh, I was in Ohio for years Ohio. ago. But, but uh, anyway, yeah, the LP actually already had ballot access in Ohio, by the way, so they didn't have to petition this time. But uh, anyway, um, yeah. So Nebraska, out of the states I've been in this year, had the least paranoia about COVID. Um, I was also in, you know, Wisconsin, Iowa. It was a bit more paranoid. And and California is also uh, uh, more paranoid about uh, about COVID. Now, um, um, interestingly enough, while I was petitioning over the summer in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, they have a beach there that's on the shores of Lake Michigan. I actually ran into somebody on the beach who was a news reporter with uh, uh, Spectrum News, and it's a TV station. 
and uh, they interviewed me. I, I've sent out that video. Um, Adam might have watched it. I don't know, but there, but there's a video of me uh, uh, gathering signatures on the beach, and I'm interviewed by this reporter. And on the beach, I would say 90% of the people were not wearing masks mm-hmm. on the beach. But if you went into a store in Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, then yeah, at the stores they were telling you you couldn't go in the store if you didn't have a, a mask on. So, um, but but on the beach, it's kind of funny that most of the people having having fun on the beach were not wearing masks. Now, it, uh, oddly enough, in the, I did bring a mask with me, but I had it down most of the time, like like down around here. And right. um, when the news reporter interviewed me, now she was not wearing a mask either, um, but she thought it would be a good idea. It would look good for the camera if I put the mask up, and so I put it up for the news story. You know, maybe I, whether I should have done that or not. But she no. thought. So this was this was similar to you know what my position would be like you know if I was knocking on doors as a candidate or gathering signatures and you know just as a customer in stores that I'll never wear it proactively but I, I usually have a, and, and you know sometimes I don't have one on me but I usually have uh, a bandana. And if someone asks and says specifically to come into my private business or to come into this government facility that you have to do or we're going to steal from you, the only way is if you wear a mask. I would. So you're wearing a mask to, sh- to show that you're willing to, but you had it off most of the time. Would people ask you to put it on to sign um, your some, some Some people did, um, and then some of them, I just saw them wearing a mask, so I figured I better put mine up. You know, so I was just kind of reading the crowd as I went. But I'll tell you, most of the time when I was on the in the beach area in Wisconsin, I had the mask down. Uh, probably, like I said, probably ninety percent of the people weren't wearing masks, so probably I had the mask down. You know, like ninety percent of the time. And yeah, so then <laughs> it's not. Yeah, so it's not that just that they were at the beach hanging out by the water without masks. They were comfortable approaching you with with your mask down. I, I think this is a really important. You know, what you're giving our audience now as an insight to the texture of coronaphobia, where we are with it, where we are with masks, masks right now. You know, and, and I, I mean, I've been saying it for, for quite a while that it, it's largely symbolic. Like, if you know, if I, there were a couple of times when I went shopping with my wife and she was like, Adam, if they ask you at the entrance, you're going to put on a mask in this store. And I'm like, all right, if it's important to you. And I would put on the mask and then pull it down to my chin. And nobody said anything. And I was just ready to tell, well, like, aren't we just doing this symbolically? And it's like, yeah, even for most people, even though they're kind of zombies walking into this. But, uh, Andy, can you can you help? I don't know. Well, I guess before we move on, you said you had one story that you really wanted to share um, about about getting harassed by authorities and that this is something that, Petitioners for Libertarian Party candidates, well, petitioners in general, but especially libertarians that, that they deal with uh, on a regular basis, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, frankly, you can be harassed if you're doing any petition for anything, even if it was for uh, it could be you could be doing a petition uh, for. Donald Trump or Joe Biden or something and and uh, and be harassed. So um, now you may be more likely to get harassed if you're doing something that the people in government don't like. Um, but yeah, you could get harassed doing any petition. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, I you know uh, the thing is you know which time I've been harassed so many times it's uh, it's hard to keep track of them. <laughs> it's probably yeah. I probably had the cops called on me. Oh geez, I. It's, 
maybe 200 times or something. Now, I've only gotten arrested twice. Um, and that might say only got arrested twice. Well, you know, any, most people who've done a lot of petition signature gathering have been arrested at least one time. So it's almost like a badge of honor. It's almost a little right. bit unusual. Don't get arrested. But anyway, I got arrested for petitioning in, um, in uh, uh, Maryland back in uh, 2010, and I got arrested in Arkansas in 2015. And uh, both times I was petitioning for the uh, Libertarian Party. And uh, in Maryland, I was gathering signatures in front of a public library. And uh, now the funny thing is, myself and another guy were gathering signatures. It was in uh, it was a place called Howard County, Maryland, which is uh, you know in between uh, 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 D.C. and uh, Baltimore. And uh, anyway, um, we had gathered signatures at another in another city in that same county. And not had any problems. The cops saw us there, didn't say anything. Uh, we actually ran into the head librarian of the county library system, and, and she acknowledged that we had a right to do it. So I went to a library that was in the same county, but maybe 10 miles away from this other library. And um, they said I couldn't do it, blah, blah, blah. They called the cops. The cops came out. I tried to talk to them. I said, hey, I'd like to talk to whoever is in charge. They said, well, the sergeant's coming out. The sergeant came out. And I usually will carry some papers that will have some relevant court rulings or statutes on it or something that indicate that we have a right to gather signatures in such and such location. And right. the sergeant wouldn't look at anything. He wouldn't listen to what I had to say. told me I had to leave. And um, I asked if they could put it in writing. They wouldn't give me anything in writing. So I pulled out my phone. I said, okay, I'll leave, but I want to record you telling me to leave because I think this is an illegal command, and I'm going to, you know, hand the footage over to a, a, an attorney. Right. And uh, the cop grabbed me. He started trying to rip the phone out of my hand like this. Okay, I didn't want my phone to fall on the concrete ground and, and break. And um, so uh, then the second cop grabbed me. I was trying to put the phone back in the case so it didn't get smashed. Okay, I was right. just getting the phone back in the case. And the first cop goes behind his back, pulls out a can of mace, and then sprayed me in the eyes with it. Wow. So it yeah, then they put me in handcuffs, put me in leg cuffs. I was taken to jail, and I sat in jail for like eight hours. They charged me with false charges. And uh, fortunately, in that situation, I was uh, fortunate enough to get some help from the uh, ACLU. Mm. And uh, they, they got all the charges got thrown out. Now, unfortunately... I was never in a position to do anything about it, and uh, I unfortunately didn't get any help from anyone in the Libertarian Party, and uh, that's very, very disappointing to me. But, uh, yeah, all the charges got dropped, and then uh, I, got, I got arrested in Arkansas for, for gathering signatures at uh, uh, Arkansas State University in Jonesboro. And in that situation, uh, I had gathered signatures at this university in, in, uh, uh, in 2011. And there was another person with me. We were there for a few days. They never said a word to us. We never had any problems, nothing. And uh, we probably got like a thousand signatures there. Okay, well, anyway, then um, I went back to the same university a couple of years later. And um, I was getting signatures. Everything was going well. And they said, oh, you have to stand in a free speech zone. <laughs> and the free speech zone is designed to put you in a location where you can't talk to anybody. So um, I was in a busy spot on the campus, uh, and I was getting, oh, geez, I was doing pretty good. I think I was getting like 30, 40, 50 signatures an hour. Well, when they moved me to the free speech zone, which was there was hardly any foot traffic there, and it was near a construction site. So I was having to shout whenever anybody walked by uh, because of the construction noise. It dropped my signatures down to like maybe seven signatures an hour. 
So um, in Arkansas, we were actually fortunate. Now, the ACLU typically is so backlogged with cases that they don't have time to take every case that comes along. But um, we were – and so we usually don't get any help from the ACLU. They usually do nothing. But in Arkansas, we were lucky enough to get some help with the ACLU, and they had contacted some other colleges in Arkansas that were giving us problems, and those colleges backed down. So I thought, well, I'm going to try it here. So I contacted our contact person at the ACLU. They contacted the college. The college refused to back down. They were, you know, they said, no, no, you, got, you can only do it if you're in this free speech zone. So I ended up leaving Jonesboro. The situation was unresolved. I came back two years later, another petition drive for the Libertarian Party, and I went back to that college. Now, in the interim, I, I found out there had been some court cases that had gone our way in other states where colleges got sued over the free speech zone issue. And uh, some of those states were in the vicinity of Arkansas. And so I figured, well, maybe these, this college got the uh, – maybe they've got the memo now that, you know, you're supposed to allow free speech on college campuses. So I went back. I figured, well, the worst thing they'll tell me to do is to stand in a free speech zone. Okay, well, unfortunately, I was wrong. They told me I couldn't be anywhere on the campus, like that you could not collect any signatures anywhere on the campus. And so I was saying, you know, well, hey, we're supposed to have a right to do this. And I, uh, anyway, long story short, the cop um, told me they wrote me out a trespass citation. And uh, I said I was holding the trespass citation. I was about to leave the campus. And I just said, okay. Um, I think this is an illegal trespass citation, but I'm going to leave the campus now. But I do intend to show this citation to an attorney. And if the attorney concurs that this is an illegal trespass citation, I may return to the campus to collect signatures at a future date. Well, not long after I said that, the cops, without giving me any warning or anything, grabbed me by both arms. One of the cops bent my arm back in a position to like practically break it. And, um, uh, they put me in handcuffs, and I was locked in jail. And they, they took me to jail, and I was, I, I was in jail in Arkansas for like two days. And um, they charged me with a bunch of false stuff. And, uh, you know, once again, disappointedly, nobody in the Libertarian Party, uh, you know, stepped forward to help me. But, you know, within it took like a year and a half to get the charges dropped. But they did eventually get dropped. And uh, actually, there's been a little bit of good news in Arkansas since then. The governor of the state, uh, who's a Republican, actually signed a bill saying uh, specifically uh, uh, saying that the colleges in Arkansas have to allow free speech. Now, I don't think he did it out of principle. I don't think he did it to help libertarians, certainly. But I think he did it because, um, you know, college campuses are generally, you know, very left wing, very Democrat. And uh, Republicans were actually having problems on uh, on college campuses in Arkansas. I know the group. Uh, what's that group with that guy? Uh, what's his name? Charlie Kirk. Uh, Turning Point USA. Turning Point right. USA. They actually were getting runoff of uh, college campuses. So anyway, um, yeah, you can get hassled a lot. I mean, just recently here in California, um, I was run out of a location that I've gotten signatures at before in California, including just a few months ago. And the cop used the excuse of COVID to run me out of the location. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you're supposed to have a right to do this, but uh, uh, your rights have been suspended because of COVID. So uh, anyway, it's it's a it's a battle. It's a battle. That's one of the toughest things about ballot access is actually being able to go out and and find places where you can talk to the public. Because if you can't talk to people, um, you you know you're not going to get enough signatures to get on the ballot. Now you can go door to door petitioning. I've done a lot of that where you're knocking on doors in neighborhoods. But there's some, you know, there's some limitations to that because you know most people aren't home Monday through Friday, you know, until like 
you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, you can't knock on anybody's door past nine o'clock in the, at night. And um, also, uh, you know, there's some people who live in gated gated communities or they have fences around their house or yeah. they're in a locked apartment or condo. So you can't, somebody else say, well, just go knock on doors. Well, there's, you can do that, but there's, there's limitations to that. So, so uh, Andy, I, oh yeah, hold on, I want to go back. Uh, you said you had the cops called on you 200 times. <clears throat> what are the, what are the complaints usually? Just like there's a guy loitering, collecting signatures or harassing yeah, yeah, customers yeah. or what yeah. they, they, and then a cop comes out and says, what's going on? And you're just like, nothing I don't have a right to do. And they leave you alone most of the time, right? Um, no, no, they don't leave you alone most of the time. Uh, most of the time they'll threaten you with arrest and then you leave, you know, or you're going to get arrested. So uh, every Whoa. once in a while you'll find a cop that will back up your rights, but unfortunately it doesn't happen that often. I would say more often than not, they don't back up your rights, but I, I've had it happen a few times. And, um, you know, there are some states that um, are worse than others in this regard. Now, uh, like, like, for instance, California. There's a lot of things wrong with California in terms of the politics. I mean, definitely it has a lot of problems. But uh, one area where California is generally good is on, you know, free speech and, 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 and specifically uh, going out and being able to gather signatures on petitions and do uh, voter registration. So they have some, you know, some court rulings in California that have gone on our way, some statutes in California that, um, that you know, say that there's a statute right, in California right. that says you can't be trespassed if you're engaging in a constitutionally protected activity. But, you know, the problem is that, you know, cops don't always follow the law. And so even in California, there's problems. Before we move on to that, the bigger picture stuff here, um, I've, you touched on something that uh, is, is a, a very important issue to me as a libertarian, as, uh, you know, relating to the rest of the libertarian community and that it's particularly dismaying to me when I see the guy like you out in the trenches getting arrested not and doing it, you know, gathering signatures for libertarian party candidates to be able to get on the ballot that you get subjected to legal harassment in these arrests and that the party doesn't back you up. And I'm I I'm I want to be very careful to you, know, you never never hate on anybody for inaction you know if you can't explain it you don't know why maybe they're not acting but it seems to me that it's not just a lack of of organization that we have the funds we have the the capacity to protect our our frontline troops like yourself when you get in trouble and it, it would seem to me that there's there's a kind of embarrassment. Um, that that that's a part of the problem with the Libertarian Party of wanting, and I wear a suit as a candidate, and I'm not talking about just the appearance, but you know, wanting to be oh, I'm I'm an establishment guy too. I'm just like those guys, and, and I, oh, we don't have people getting arrested on our team, and it's kind of a desire out of this artificial self consciousness, uh, and I think it's the product of bullying. It's not the product of a real legit even. PR kind of reason to be self-conscious because I think the reality is when people see that if the, if the general public knew what we as libertarians have to do to get on the ballot, and I've, I've gathered signatures for my own races before and, and for a, a couple of others I, I know I know the challenge I, I, I'm familiar with this 
Um, and and I've, I've been asked to leave places, and I've had those kinds of interactions with police where you just sidestep it and, you know, just generally don't get arrested. But I would think that if, if more of the American people knew that, hey, just operating as a party, doing legal things to challenge the duopoly means you might get, you might get arrested. In fact, there's a pretty good chance that eventually you will. That, that if they knew that that was part of it, that there'd be a lot more sympathy and understanding of the American people going, well, what is this message that's being suppressed? And now, first of all, there's a lot, of, obviously, for you to respond to in there, but do you think that the main reason the LP doesn't back you up is that they're sort of self-conscious of associating with someone who got arrested? Um, that's part of it. I think part of it is also just laziness, and right. I also think another part of it is um, – that, you know, some of these people, they're not the ones, not all of them, but some of them are not the ones out collecting signatures themselves. So they they don't know what you're going through. And then another part of it is people are afraid of the state. A lot of people are just afraid to take on the state, you know. Um, now, there was, um, in the entire history of the Libertarian Party, I'm aware of one Libertarian who actually did file a lawsuit about being run out of a location, and that was a guy um, in Connecticut. Uh, his name is Dan Reel. He was, I don't know if he still is, but he was the state chair of the LP of Connecticut. He might still be. Mm-hmm. In 2018, himself and a couple other libertarian volunteers, they went to a public festival that was being held at a public park in a place called, I believe it was uh, Meriden, Connecticut. And they, the public, the festival was open to the public to come and go. It was in a public park. There was no admission charge. Anyway, uh, they had every legal right to be there gathering petition signatures. And they were run out of the park under the threat of arrest by the police and um, apparently under the orders of the mayor. And so um, now Dan Reel, uh, he is not an attorney, but he's a professional paralegal. Like He's a paralegal. That's his job. For what he does for a living. And uh, anyway, he knew how to go about filing all the paperwork for a lawsuit. So he sued them and they won a $37,000 settlement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dan kept like $5,000 for himself just for the hassle of doing it. And uh, they they actually donated the rest of the settlement to the Libertarian Party of Connecticut. So nice. after this happened, I thought, well, wow, the, the people on the LNC should – because I've been talking about this for years. I've been saying for years that Libertarians we, – we could have laws – basically on pretty much every time the Libertarian Party does a petition drive anywhere in the country, these type of problems happen uh, just about every time. And uh, I thought, well, now, finally, the people in, in leadership positions of the Libertarian Party will look at this example and uh, they'll, they'll uh, say, hey, we can win these lawsuits. I mean, the, the case law is already on our side. The Constitution's on our side. A lot, there's oftentimes statutes on our side. And, but unfortunately, nobody's done anything since then. Now, there is a Libertarian in uh, Los Angeles, and I know you know who I'm talking about because I know you've interviewed this guy before, and that's uh, Kevin Shaw. And yeah. uh, he was he was involved in the uh, campus uh, libertarian club. I think it was Young Americans for Liberty, the libertarian club started by Ron Paul. And uh, he was um, out. He wasn't petitioning, but he was out handing out copies of the Constitution and you know just talking about liberty and telling people about the Young Americans for Liberty club on the campus, which was perfectly legal activity. He was standing in the public walkways of the campus doing this. And uh, this was at a community college in Los Angeles. I think it was uh, Pierce, Pierce College. And um, anyway, they, 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 they called the campus cops on him. They told him he couldn't do it. 
So um, he got help from an organization called The FIRE, which stands for the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education. They're kind of like a, they're like a free speech group, but they only deal with college campuses. And um, I, I have contacted the fire myself, but they've told me they will only take your case if you're a student or if you're faculty or you work at the college in some capacity. But since he was a student, they took his case. He sued and he won a $50,000 settlement. Or no, I'm sorry, a $200,000 settlement. And I don't think he kept all the money. I, some of it went to the, a lot of it went to the fire. But uh, anyway, as a result of that court decision, all of the community colleges in Los Angeles County stopped harassing people who were engaging in free speech activities, including, you know, petition signature gathering. So I thought, hey, that would be another example um, of a libertarian, you know, winning one of these cases and that maybe other people in the libertarian party would say, hey, we should start doing this more often. You know, yeah, we, can, really. we, can, we can protect our rights. <laughs> yeah, we can make some money. And um, a lot of times when you get a victory, they they start they start to back down and they leave you alone in the future because they're like, oh no, we don't want to get sued again. And so, but unfortunately, you know, nobody in the Libertarian Party has uh, has stepped up to do anything. Now there have been like a few incidents here and there where somebody in the Libertarian Party made some phone calls or maybe a Libertarian attorney threatened to file a lawsuit. But um, for the most part, nobody's, you know, nobody's really done much of anything. That's one of the things I'm disappointed about. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I, I ran for uh, LNC I did, to be on the Libertarian National Committee. But, you know, unfortunately, I didn't didn't get elected. But I've, I've run for the LNC, uh, I guess, was it three times and I've, I've lost all three times. But anyway, yeah, so that one of the reasons I was running um, was because I wanted to try to improve LP ballot access operations. You know, there's another thing Andy, a lot of people don't Andy, understand. Andy, we're gonna we're gonna get you on the LNC in 2022. It was. Well, uh, I, I, I'll just see what I'm doing then, but maybe. <laughs> I, I, no, I mean, I I really admire your persistence, not just your commitment to the party and and persistence in what your work and, and contribution to the cause, but specifically in in running for uh, for LNC three times. And I thought, uh, for sure this year that you were going to get it. And I, I really think it was because of, uh, some of the chaos and, and manipulation around the convention because of COVID and, and that nonsense was really probably the only reason. Uh, yeah, also, um, I, 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 you know, one thing I didn't like to happen at the convention was they took away speaking time for, uh, LNC, uh, candidates, not, not for chair, not for the, uh, uh chair. Yeah. Vice yeah, you didn't even have a chance to present your resume to the party in a 30-second in a speaking slot, even in a, in a long lineup of, of candidates, just to remind people uh, who you are and what you've achieved for the party. So I, yeah, I have no doubt. They usually give you like three minutes or something to speak, right. and, and unfortunately they didn't do that this time. But uh, anyway, you know, one thing a lot of people don't realize, they'll just look at, oh, geez, I have to go out and get all these signatures. Isn't this a pain? And, oh, this is this law is really terrible. And there's a certain element of truth to that. I can understand why people would say that. But it's, it's also a campaign. Yes, yes. That, bingo, you the nail on that. A lot of libertarians don't understand that – that is a part of the campaign, and it gives you an opportunity to go out and you get to talk to the public. And if you're doing a Libertarian Party petition, you know, uh, a lot of people have never gotten to, to – they might have heard of a Libertarian, or some people haven't. There's still people out there who don't know what it is. Now, I will say that um, in the last 10 or 12 years or so, a lot more people know what a Libertarian is 
than who knew, you know, let's say 15 or 20 years ago. But there's still people out there who don't know what it is or have misconceptions about it, or maybe they even do know what it is. In fact, there's a lot of people out there who self-identify as libertarians, but they're not members of the Libertarian Party. Uh, oftentimes, they're not, they're not registered to vote as a libertarian. Maybe they're not even registered to vote at all, or they're registered to vote as something else or as an independent or something like that. But they're actually libertarians. And I, I've run into them a lot while petitioning. In fact, um, uh, several years ago, myself and another libertarian uh, activist petitioner, um, a guy by the name of uh, Jake Whitmer, uh, we came up with a contact list, a contact sheet to carry for people to carry while they were petitioning. And that they could get, like, if you run into somebody who says, yeah, I'm a libertarian, or you tell them what a libertarian is, or you give them a world's smallest political quiz and they score in the libertarian quadrant, asking them, hey, would you like to be on the contact list for the Libertarian Party? Let's take your information. And uh, our hope was that, um, that you know, a lot of libertarians would start doing this and we would start bringing in, you know, tens of thousands of contacts for small L libertarians, uh, getting them on the Libertarian Party's, you know, email list and stuff like that. And uh, unfortunately, it never took off. Nobody else was really doing it. So, but I, I can just say personally, I have collected, oh, a lot, I don't even know how many, but I collected a lot of contacts and I just donated them to free, for free, to the Libertarian National Committee or to the state parties so, you know, they could add more people to their, uh, their, their mailing list. But, you know, here, here's a for instance for you. Yesterday, I'm doing this petition in California right now to repeal the ban on, uh, on flavored tobacco, which includes right. uh, vape juice and, and uh, uh, flavored cigarettes and, and uh, um, you know, flavored rolling paper, which is actually used by a lot of marijuana smokers. Yeah. Anyway, this is repealing the law. Okay, I ran into a guy yesterday who works at a vape shop. He signed the petition. While I was talking to him, he said he was a libertarian. Uh, but he's never been to a Libertarian Party meeting, never been to a Libertarian Party convention, never been, never been, uh, you know, never done anything with the Libertarian Party, but he self-identified as Libertarian. And uh, while I was, you know, he signed my petition, while I was talking to him, I uh, came out in conversation that he actually knew who you were, Adam, and he yeah. was, uh, he's a fan of you, and he said he wished you would have won the presidential nomination. So there's all kinds of people like that out there, you know, and uh, you, run, you run into them. So so the, the petitioning process is a good excuse to go out and talk to people yeah uh, uh, talk to people about liberty you know yeah, and, and in some ways it's a better in than the world's smallest political quiz which is my favorite thing to do tabling when you have that quiz up there and you get to stop people walking by and say you know it's a fun interactive thing you can do but in a way hey i need your signature can you help me please it's almost like that there's a there's a, a con where you know you convince someone to do you a favor by doing them a favor first or like, and, 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 and once, once they, they feel like they've do, done you a favor by signing your petition because you have a real reason because you're going, Hey, the government is standing in my way from you know me giving you a choice on this election. Can, can you sign this for me, please? And, and now they naturally want to talk to you. And if you're not like just doing the hustle, like Andy has to sometimes high traffic and, you know, just trying to get thousands and thousands in a hurry. Um, it's, it's, I can attest to that. It is a really fun way to engage with people. Now we've only got a few minutes left here, Andy. Um, I do want to, you know, get your thoughts on the big picture. And I do want to take some questions from our audience here. Our first one is from our friend Ed Vallejo in the producers club. And for those of you who don't know, yes, this is the best way you can actually talk to me during the show. This is what I'm watching is like my producer notes. I am watching the Telegram group for the Producers Club while the show is happening. 
And so if you want to get questions and comments in here for Andy for this conversation, you can put them on YouTube. You can super chat us. Jim will pull those up. But we're going to start with Ed Vallejo here. He writes, hypothetical situation for Adam and Andy. You are on a highway far from the next available gasoline and almost on empty, but the station you are at requires a face covering before they will sell to you. What do you do? And he says in parentheses, I have this problem myself. Andy, I know my answer. How would you how would you answer this question? Well, I just for the sake of expediency, I would probably just put on the face mask just so I could get my gas. But I, I wouldn't be happy about it. But <laughs> sometimes you have to, you know, choose your battles, you know. Yeah. So, so, so there. Yeah, I mean, I'm similar to that. There. There. I mean, if it says far from the next available gasoline, almost on empty. How much is almost, and how far is far? Right. You know, because if I can make the statement with 90% confidence that I'll get to the next gas station. I usually have a spare five-gallon can in my vehicle. Anyhow, I'll say, you know what, As as just to, to show you that I'm conscientiously taking my business elsewhere, I will. But if, if I can't say with confidence I'll make it to the next gas station, I have no problem saying, all right, I will, I will submit to this policy here. And I, I don't want to say coercion because it's not coercive in and of itself. I don't want to play this leftist game of, you know, well, they're forcing you to work to live, and it's like, uh, no. But um, I would I would put it on, and I guess the other thing you could do is sort of play games with it and do the chin. Well, if I put it over my chin, is that okay? Does that satisfy you for your boss, for their requirements? Oh, okay, and then I'd make jokes about it being stupid and symbolic. And if they say, no, me personally, I really want, you know, I got a, I got a sick grandma at home, and I would really like you to wear a mask to protect me then, of course, you know, I, I would wear it in the seriousness of whatever value it has there that they want, uh, but I would, I, would, I would probably take the opportunity to say, no, um, you know, this is not justified and, and not helpful. Um, but, Andy, you know, your answer is simply, yeah, when you got to get somewhere, you got to get somewhere, and if you're trying to get around the country to gather signatures, uh, you just have to weigh even what's the political statement or the value of that conscious consumerism against the, the, the greater mission that you're on. Yeah, or you could, you know, have the mask up and then pull it, then then just every few moments pull it down, you know. <laughs> I'm eating. I'm allowed to pull it down when I'm, when I'm eating, yeah. yeah. Or just, I, I guess there's there's one way to, to never have to wear a mask is just carry a smoothie around and just sip it every 30 seconds and then you can't wear a mask while eating and drinking right that's an exception um all right so jim comment jim producer jim today do you have any comments can you get some questions or anything up on uh, up on the screen here for uh for andy let's see Uh, oh jim jim well jim is commenting on telegram yeah he just said yeah like you should you should be paying attention to the comments here jim but Jim is commenting himself. He writes, if you must wear a mask in this case, you can just be sure to use your freedom of speech to say some shit. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Jim, do we have well, what do we have for comments or, or questions from the audience uh, for, for Andy here? Let's see. Can we? Get, here we go. Uh, I'm a statist. I normally get called a socialist when folks find out I'm a libertarian. No one has ever been able to tell me how a free market is socialist, but I've also not been able to persuade them otherwise. Andy, you want to speak to that in terms of the uh, some of the misconceptions you run into, just actual on-the-ground 
getting the word libertarian in front of your fellow Americans? Oh, you mean you mean from people who don't know what a libertarian is? Um, yeah, yeah I've, I've gotten people. Oh, you mean librarian or something? Uh, you know, <laughs> but um, no, I've had people over the years who thought libertarian was Ralph Nader. They thought libertarian was Ross Perot, Pat Buchanan, uh, Jesse Ventura, Lyndon Larouche. I've had people who think libertarian means you know far left wing liberal or socialist communist. I've had people think libertarian means you know. Uh, uh, ultra conservative, ultra right wing, and so uh, yeah, there's still a lot of people that don't know what a libertarian is, or have you know uh, misconceptions about it, or they think that some person who uh, people for a while were saying Bill Maher was a libertarian because Bill Maher at one point was calling himself a libertarian. Now, fortunately, Bill Maher stopped calling himself a libertarian because I, I don't think he ever. I think he was more of a libertine, like a left wing libertine, but not really a libertarian. Yeah. yeah, there were people at one time going around saying that you know Bill Maher was a libertarian and uh but, you know i will say this like i said for many years of hard work from the libertarian party and then also especially from people like ron paul uh at using the word libertarian uh in in public you know in, in uh like in the big media and when ron paul ran in the republican primaries getting on stage in the republican debates and and using the word libertarian and then other people like john stossel and and some other you know rel- well-known or relatively well-known uh media talking heads have used the word um, the libertarian, the word libertarian is now more known and more popular than it's ever been. And there's more people self-identifying as libertarian than ever before. And, uh, libertarian party voter registrations have been going up in the states where you can register by party. Um, and it's happening, happening mostly organically. Uh, the libertarian party's done maybe two or three paid voter registration drives here and there, but the majority of it has been just more people checking the libertarian box on their, uh, on their voter registration form. And, uh, so, uh, unfortunately though, this has not translated into membership growth for the libertarian party. So, and that's one of the big problems. That's another reason why I was I was uh, running for the LNC because um, if we could get even a small percentage, of, let's say we got like five percent or ten percent of the self-identified libertarians out there who are not members of the Libertarian Party to join the party, the party yeah. would be much larger than it is right now. Yeah, there's some people. There's some people in the party who take the position, well, we're not a membership organization. We're a political party. The job is to get votes, and we don't care so much if people join as long as they vote and donate and, and run for office even, if not join at first. But that's it's very short-sighted and, and, and playing their game. I think for the Libertarian Party, when we get people to join, they're, they're joining an organization that is the centerpiece of a bigger movement. And they're getting a definition and a community. And, and I, I, I'm very suspicious of people who say that we should have a non-membership-based model for the LP or people who, who uh, you know, hinder those efforts. All right, Jim, we got time for at least one more question, comment here. Mark Jason Walker writes, that Andy, the cops that arrested you in Maryland were tools, weren't they? Good question. Good question. Yeah, no, and it sounds like in that case, Andy, yeah. go back – you didn't really get arrested for petitioning. You got arrested for failing to be Im- immediately obedient. Well, yeah, and then also because it, in the case of Maryland, I wanted to record them uh, uh, telling me to leave because um, right. 
you know, like a day or a day or two or so before that happened, another petitioner was working in the same county and he got ran off a community college and they actually gave it to him in writing that he had to leave the community college. So I thought, well, I should get something in writing as well. And, yeah. uh, but they wouldn't give me anything in writing. And I tried to record them and that's when they, uh, they, you know, they, they grabbed me and sprayed mace in my eyes and, you know, cuffed me and took me off to jail. But, uh, anyway, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of cops are jerks. Now, like I said, every once in a while, you'll you'll have one that will back up your rights, and you know it's it happens more likely in some states than others that they'll back up your rights. But every once in a while, they do. But most of the time, they don't. You know, most right. of the time. They don't. Andy, we just have a couple minutes here. I want to get to one more comment here. Girl from South, as a longtime registered no party voter who votes Libertarian, I like not being associated with. No party, but after seeing this, I may take the plunge. That's that's a great comment. Thank you, and and, and I, I'm I'm appreciative that there are a lot of people in our audience uh, with Adam versus the man in that position who are who actually do understand libertarianism, but are, are just have certain reluctances to uh, to be involved with the party. And I've always said, you know, run a paper campaign, even. And, and use it as an excuse as an activist to just get out there and, and speak your message for free in ways that would normally cost you a lot of money. Just, to, you know, punk the system. Even if you start even with just that and, and you, you respect the Libertarian Party message of, of ethics and the platform, you're more than welcome. And people like Andy might even help you get signatures to get on the ballot if that's necessary for your campaign. And most it's not. All you got to do is, you know, sign up or give them a couple hundred bucks. But, Andy, what would you say to those people in our movement who are absolutely hardcore, get-the-message libertarians, but have, have some reluctance to be more involved with the party? Well, I can understand, you know, um, you know, some people just don't want to join something or they like to be registered as, a, as an independent or nonpartisan. And like I said, half the states don't register by party. So everybody in, in like, let's say, Washington or Virginia, um, they don't, or Indiana, they don't register by party in those states. They're every, you know, but other, the other half of the states approximately, you know, you do register by party. And I'm pretty sure South Dakota does register by party. Um, so, um, you know, by registering as a libertarian in some states, you can help keep the party on the ballot. Because in yeah. some states, will determine ballot access by how many registered voters you have. And so um, it, it helps with that. Now, as far as joining the party, um, it helps with uh, uh, candidates uh, getting not only getting ballot access, but getting some kind of support network. Because if you're a member of the Libertarian Party, you know, you'll have a support network of other Libertarian Party members all over the country. And yep. if you're trying to go it alone as an independent, um, it's a lot harder to do that. So, uh, and, you know, for those out there who are not happy with some things the Libertarian Party is doing, well, my question to you is, did you show up at the convention? Did you show up yeah. at a meeting? Because yeah, you can, yeah. you know, you can sit on the sidelines, but you, if, you, if you're not happy with something the party's doing, then uh, get involved and do something about it. The way I've said it is I've yet to hear a single complaint about the Libertarian Party, even that you didn't like the nominee for president that couldn't be changed by the person complaining showing up and doing something about it because even even this year the difference between uh the, the top two or the final two uh presidential candidates for the libertarian primary it was really close you could have pushed it one way or another with one person's effort that way and there's so many other things you know and i, I most of the, the complaints about the lp 
honestly, they're bullshit excuses for sitting on the sidelines or they're troll comments that don't make any sense. Like people who are saying, well, I can't vote for Jorgensen because she wants, she was too friendly with Black Lives Matter. And you go, as opposed to being friendly with the bankers and the military industrial complex and all the pedophiles in government and every other, say, you know, everybody else in the deep state, really, you have a problem with her being friendly with, and it's like, no, 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 that's, you're revealing that you just, you, you, you got some, something else going on. And I, I think there are a lot of trolls who take that position to be critical and, and keep people away. This is the modern version of COINTELPRO and with social media trolling. Uh, but it, it's also uh, people giving into a temptation to sit on the sidelines. And I won't sit here and say you have a duty or a responsibility or an obligation to join the Libertarian Party and be that get them signatures gathered in the rain libertarian like mm-hmm. Andy here, but uh, don't don't be sitting on the sidelines and don't let petty excuses stop you from jumping in. And if anything, the Libertarian Party pro- provides you just by membership, showing up to county meetings, if that's all you want to do, a very easy on-ramp to more meaningful and satisfying activism like Andy has found in his vein as, I think, our, our best resident ballot access and signature gathering expert, Andy. Also has a YouTube channel, Libertarian Revolution. We'll include the link in the notes there. I think Jim can pull it up so you can see it on screen. Oh, there it is. Yes, okay, please. Yeah, yeah, check out my Black channel. Thoughts, anything else? Oh, yeah, I don't know if you missed this or not, but um, on my, uh, am I back on camera? Yes, you are. Oh, okay. I was going to say, uh, my uh, on my shirt, I've still got the freedom pin that you gave me. <laughs> the LP of California Convention. So, you know, I forgot it was on the shirt. And one day I had his shirt in the laundry and I pulled it. It's a metal thing. I was going to take it off. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's my freedom. So I've kept it. It's been on my, it's been on this shirt since uh, I I last saw you at the uh, Libertarian Party California State Convention uh, back in uh, February of this year. (laughs) I forgot it was on there and it's still there. So I figured I should wear this uh, for, it would be appropriate for the show. (laughs) All right, Andy. If someone wants to to get in touch with you uh, directly, uh, email, phone, what, what what's the best way? If someone wants to, I, I imagine there are going to be some people who watch this who who have follow up questions. How do I get started doing what Andy's doing? How do I find my own way in? Um, so, what, what's the best way for people to get? Uh, send me an email at uh, libertarianrevolution at protonmail dot com. Libertarianrevolution at protonmail dot com. There you and, go. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, for those of you, if you uh, one thing I've said is like, if you're a libertarian and you live in a state that has an initiative or referendum process, and there is a pro-liberty, you know, ballot initiative or referendum or or a recall where you can remove a politician from office with a recall petition, and uh, go out and get some signatures on it because it's a good opportunity to talk to the public. And it's a good opportunity to hand out, you know, Libertarian Party pamphlets, flyers, whatever, get contact information from people. And uh, you can also get paid to do it. I mean, there's groups uh, like the thing here in California. You can you can go get paid to talk to people about a pro-liberty issue and uh, help get it on the ballot. And you can help build the Libertarian Party at the same time. And, uh, you know, we need to have more Libertarians out, out doing, doing this type of stuff because, uh, frankly, there aren't that many. Uh, most of the people out, you know, gathering signatures are not libertarians. 
So uh, it's a good way to get out and talk to the public and uh, help, you know, spread a message and, and build a movement. Heck yeah. Thank you so much. And you can get paid at the same time, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, of course you can do it as a volunteer too, but I'm just saying if, if you, you have financial concerns, uh, you can, you know, you can, you can make some money at the same time and you can get paid for your activism. Basically you get paid to go out and talk to people about Liberty. That's the dream. Yeah. So, right. um, anything so. else? All right. All right. Thanks, hey, thanks so much for your time here. today. Okay. All right. All appreciate right. it. Stay in touch. All right. What a wonderful Friday show. I want to, I really want to do one more segment to like end on a, what's going to sound like a really negative note and then a positive note, but I'm going to, I'm going to make this really quick. We're going to take a couple more comments and get through the good news. But this was, uh, this was on Market Watch today, uh, and Drudge Report opinion. Half of Americans over 55 may retire poor. I'm, I'm going to come back to the story. This is like a teaser for Monday. By the way, Monday, we have Lynn Ulbricht. That's right, Ross Ulbricht's mom, the patron saint of libertarian activist mothers, joins us for the show on Monday. Very excited about that. It's Friday. I guess I should wait until Jim is reading comments to smoke. But this next story, just real quick. Half of Americans over 55 may retire poor, and a big part of this is COVID-19 job losses, early withdrawals may decimate retirement finances. And uh, how poor is this? They're talking about uh, living on less than $20,000 a year, chronic deprivation for the rest of your life. And, you know, I don't, I don't pretend to have the immediate ticket out of that for you. I'm not a rich man. I've been reasonably financially successful. I've been defrauded by YouTube and Facebook enough to, to be able to count it in a minimal dollar term. But uh, I'm not trying to come here and tell you to be – I get well, shit, if you had bought Bitcoin when I told you to, you'd be rich right now if you could have saved it better than I did. And I, I think what, what I offer in terms of, you know, personal financial advice, you know, I, I, I always – Try to, you know, caveat and tour all of it with I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a rich man. And my focus more even on, you know, making economic decisions and, and, and giving you advice is on, uh, you know, more living by your values. You know, I would rather I would rather be poor and, and know that I'm not working for the man. I would rather be poor and happy and comfortable. And be able to to sleep every night, knowing that I'm not working for the man, even in a way if I'm not working directly, that if I'm paying taxes through normal income, that I'm, I'm you know, working for the government half the year. But I think I do offer enough practical advice and in, in my worldview here to give you a way out of this with comfort. But the most important thing is, Chronic deprivation for the rest of your life. How do you escape that when the, when the cards are stacked against you? When the biggest forces in the world economically want you to experience chronic deprivation for the rest of your life. The most important thing you can do is choose happiness. And I know in chronic deprivation, maybe it's harder. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you're depressed. Maybe you have anxiety. Maybe you have other other things that, that prevent you from simply choosing happiness. But even within that, if you realize that at heart, you know, you have the freedom 
I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Maybe I've been using the wrong words. Maybe it's not choosing happiness, but you get to choose your attitude. At, at, the, at the core of whatever you are experiencing, your attitude and your outlook. And I say, most of the time, your mood. Yes, you can choose happiness. That's your choice. And if I can give you, I don't want to say give you, because I'm not giving you that freedom, but if I can cause you to embrace that level of freedom, then I can sleep well at night and be very happy and satisfied with my work and hope that I can, my, my words somehow encourage you to choose that positive attitude for yourself and thus never experience real deprivation. All right, so, Jim, get yourself up on stage here. Let's uh, put a bow on this wonderful week we've had so far. I think it's been a great week. I think it's been a lot of fun. I felt good about this. Oh, no. Yeah. You guys, You're you not wrong. DJ's coming back next week. It's only going to get better from here. It's all, what's the proper term? It's all downhill from here. Right. DJ's got it. Uh, I got a funny comment when you guys were talking about the masks and everything. Noble Phoenix chimes in, our newest uh, Producers Club member, that is. Uh, I have a bandana and just say, all right, but I'm going to have to rob the place. And then I say, just kidding, after a hilarious, awkward pause. <laughs> then I have an escort in the store. <laughs> oh, an ascot. An ascot in the store. Well, well you wear it. No, no, it's right. You escort. wear the bandana. Yeah, you wear the bandana like an ascot. You know, that's, yeah. Oh, 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 okay. I thought it was a typo. And I thought they were saying after that, making that remark, they had an escort that followed them around the store. Yeah, what, and, and wiped everything down that they touched with sanitizer and pulled a, hold a shield over your face for you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, you know, I was – one more thing about, about the South Park pandemic special, the portrayal of schools with police officers – uh, at first, I'm like, yeah, it's a little hyperbolic, South Park. And then I go, it's South Park. And then I go, it's actually not at all. Like, and, and, and it, well, I, I guess it's not too much of a spoiler alert to say that they're the cops basically take over the school, and uh, one of the students gets shot. Can you guess which one? Yeah, you can. Um, I'll leave it at that. So it's not, it's not a spoiler, but. Uh, We've seen in real life videos of children being assaulted because cops were called to schools. Uh, we've seen arrests. We've seen security guards do it at schools. If anything, you know, again, and, and just saying go South Park, it, it really has a tour de force. In some ways, they, they managed to be understated. Hoot Johnson says at, at Noble at least your neck won't get COVID then ha ha <laughs> we're having fun in the comments well it's good share some more we got I mean I I, 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 don't, I can't stay too late today um, we, we got to wrap up yeah with we're already we actually over good. time uh, oh, yeah. over time. All right. Let's get to the good news and put a bow on this one. 
On this day, 70 years ago, Peanuts, the American comic strip by Charles Schultz, was first published. He drew the comic every day for 50 years, producing an astonishing 17,897 episodes. Yeah, wow. With a readership of around 355 million in 75 countries, it was translated into 21 languages, earning the artist more than a billion dollars with merchandise sales. I could go on about that, but let's skip ahead because it was on this day in 1869 that Mohandas Mahatma Gandhi was born in Porbandar, India, an attorney-turned-political leader who went on to advocate nonviolence and become the father of a nation. On this day in 1951, Sting, famous as the singer-slash-bassist for the police who released 11 albums in the last two decades, was born as Gordon Matthew Thomas Sumner. Yeah, I would have changed my name to Sting, too. On this day in 1958, Guinea declared itself independent from France. Here, here. On this day in 2007, the president of South Korea, Ro Moo Hyun, walks across the military demarcation line into North Korea on his way to the second inter-Korean summit hosted by North Korean leader Kim Jong-il. And we see that conflict slowly dissipating over the years. It was also on this day in 1890 that Julius Groucho Marx was born in New York City into a family with showbiz ties. And on this day in 1967, Thurgood Marshall was sworn in as the first African-American justice to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and, uh, oh yes, uh, and 61 years ago today, Rod Sterling's The Twilight Zone premiered on American TV. And on this day in 2020, Adam got some very good cannabis. To enjoy while wrapping up a fun week of Adam versus the Man. Thank you all so much for being a part of it. Peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other.